Good morning. I love working with Brian. Uh, he, he came to be a part of our team for multiplying churches at the Missouri Baptist Convention a few years back. Uh, I, I love his heart. I love his passion. Can anybody keep up with his passion and his energy? It is just there all the time. I want you to uh, open your copy of God's Word, if you have it, to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9 and verse 35 through verse 38. Those are the four verses we're going to go through. I, I have titled this, If It Mattered to Jesus... Because I just think this, if something mattered to Jesus, maybe it ought to matter to us. Now, let me just say that different. If it mattered to Jesus, it ought to matter to us as followers of Christ. We ought to know that. Look, let's see what it says. It begins in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. If it mattered to Jesus, by this verse, what mattered to Jesus, as I look at it, it is he went throughout all the cities and villages teaching. There was no place off of his radar. All the all the cities. The word for city is a word that means it had its walls. It had its government. You, you would be considered a part of a city. You would be a city in and of yourself. DeSoto, Missouri is where I was born and raised. Grew up in DeSoto, Missouri. It was just... Oh, 5,300 when I grew up. It's 6,500 now. But they had their mayor. They had their police department. They had their city council. They had all of those things. They had their law. They had their, all the things they needed. They would have been considered a city. But the other one is a village. Now, village is kind of like a hamlet. It's just out here in the outskirts. Uh, let me do it this way. DeSoto, Missouri was a would have been a city. It would have mattered to Jesus. There's a highway coming out of DeSoto, Missouri called Y Highway. Highway Y. You go a little bit further out Highway Y, you're going to come to a small community that has Primrose Baptist Church. It's going to have a cemetery. It's even got a school there right now, but it doesn't even have a gas station. It doesn't have a government. It's called Ware. That's its name. You go a little bit further out Highway Y, you're going to come to a community similar to that that's called From It. From It was just a place where houses gathered together as they were farmers and had places. You go a little bit further out Highway Y, before you come to Highway 30, there's a community called Grubville. And these are real names of communities, no government of any kind, no stores that are there. They are hamlets. They are villages. It doesn't matter where you come from or where you go. That place matters to Jesus. When Jesus was on planet earth walking, every city, every village mattered to him. And he went through all of them. Notice what it continues to say. Uh, into all of it, he was going throughout all the cities and villages. He was doing three things. These are the verbs. Teaching, proclaiming, and healing. He was teaching 
in their synagogues, their houses of worship. He would have gathered in a place like this for the Jewish individuals. It would have been a synagogue. It would have been a place where they gathered. And a lot of times when Jesus would come into, he would be didasco. He would be having conversations with people outside in the hallways, coming into the place before the service started. In that process, he was teaching them, didasco, telling them the stories, the parables, uh, the things that would draw their heart to God. It mattered that we have those conversations with people outside of this church building, on the outside, in the neighborhoods, at the schools, at the grocery store, at the, the, the gas station. Those places mattered to Jesus, but mattered to Jesus it ought to matter to us. And you can talk to me. That's all right. I'll carry on this conversation with you. I'll carry it on with myself if you don't. That dialogue mattered to Jesus. And then it goes ahead and says, and he was proclaiming, Caruso is the word, the gospel of the kingdom. Proclaiming. He would come in, and as a guest rabbi, he would be invited up by the, the ruler of that synagogue to come and read the scrolls. So, so what they would do is the, the Lord, the, the leader of that synagogue, would go up and right back here behind a pulpit that they had, he would open the doors and he would pull out the scrolls of the scriptures that he would have, and he would hand it to Jesus. It was in a cover. And when Jesus or whoever the priest was, or not the priest, the rabbi was coming in, they would kiss the scroll because it's the word of God. He would take the cover off. He would open it up and he would read the scriptures. When he was finished with that, he would roll it back up, kiss it, hand it back to the ruler of that synagogue who would put it back in place. And then he would come right around front and he would sit there and he would, Caruso, he would begin to declare the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom, not just the kingdom. I mean, I think too often we can turn around and focus on the bad news. The fact that if somebody's lost, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell. The bad news. Jesus talked about the good news. He talked about his father. He talked about the angels. He talked about heaven. He talked about eternal life to them. It was the good news of the kingdom of God. I, I want you to know if that mattered to Jesus, it ought to matter to us that we talk to people about the good news of the kingdom, not just the bad news. We want to tell them what God has for them, the forgiveness of sins, the making them whole, the one day taking them, with, taking them with him to heaven, to be with the Father in heaven. And notice what goes ahead and says. He was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the, the, the kingdom, that is the rule and the reign of God, not only in heaven, but the rule and reign of him here on earth. When we come to faith in Christ, for me, it was January 8, 1978. I was a, a young college student going nowhere, dating Sandy, who became my wife. And she got me in a habit of praying with her. One time she'd pray, the other time I'd pray. I grew up in a United Methodist church, and then I was baptized in a Christian church, and, and I had attended VBS in a Baptist church. I had all kinds of church-type stuff, 
But being around Sandy and her family, some things were beginning to help, beginning to stir my heart. There was conviction in my heart that something wasn't right. One time she'd pray, the next time I would pray. This night, January 10th, 1978, she said, Rick, it's your turn to pray. And when she said that, the conviction was too great for me. It overwhelmed with me where I began to sob and I said, I'm lost. I need to be saved. And she softly said, I thought so. I said, can you get your dad? He was the pastor of the church. He came in, sat by me. He said, Rick, what's wrong? I said, I'm lost. I want to be saved. He said, do you know what to do? I said, yes. I had gone out on church visitation, sharing the gospel three times each Monday night for the past four Monday nights. God was just using it, bringing conviction on me that I could speak everything about God's word, but if I did not have a relationship with him, I was not saved. That night I bowed my head and I began to pray and said, God, please forgive me of my sin. I don't want to go to hell. Please don't send me to hell. You said you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Change my life. Make my life count for you. Be my Lord and my Savior. And it was like a ton of weight immediately lifted. And I said, thank you, Jesus. That was on a Tuesday night. I let the church know on Wednesday night. I was baptized on Sunday. I would sit as close to the front as I could because in that church there was an invitation at the end. And it came. I wanted to come kneel down by them and pray with them. It's God's kingdom. It was his kingdom that he was declaring. And he was healing every disease and every affliction. Therapeutic is the word. He was, we know he worked miracles. He, he, he would, the lame, he would cause them to walk. The one with withered hands, all of a sudden they would behold. The blind could see again. The deaf could hear. The mute could speak again when Jesus came. The dead were raised. Jesus went around healing. If that mattered to Jesus, it ought to matter to us as the church that we're involved in a healing ministry for individuals. It wasn't just the healing of physical things. Notice what it goes ahead and says uh, when it says, does every healing, every disease, and every affliction. The word for affliction is a softness, maybe emotional, maybe mental. That mattered to Jesus. Everyone who's struggling emotionally, everyone who needs counseling, everyone who needs encouragement, that mattered to Jesus. If it mattered to Jesus, it ought to matter to us. That ought to be a primary thing that I cannot get off my mind. If, If verse 35 is, is, and it's a summary of Jesus' life there in Galilee. If that mattered to him, that ought to matter to me. Look what it goes ahead and says in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion, the King James says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The first verse I said, if it mattered to Jesus, this is the one I want to say, if it moved Jesus. If it stirred him in his gut. The scripture here says, when he saw the crowds. The word is oxlox in the Greek language. It means the rabble. 
The closest thing that we could probably think about it here in the United States would be some major cities like New York City. And and you see the movies and you watch the massive crowds walking down the sidewalks and crossing the the crosswalks and, and everything, pushing, shoving. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the masses of people, I could say when he saw Kansas City, when he saw Independence, when he saw all the houses and the people who lived there, when he saw the multitudes, he was gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching down in his gut. It hurt. It troubled him. It caused him the very core of his being. He couldn't just look at people and walk away. He had to do something about it. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were, what are those two words? Harassed and helpless. Harassed and helpless. Let let me, let me try to describe it this way. My mother-in-law is a great house cleaner. And when we would have Christmas, and we had all of our children, and and Sandy has two siblings, and so they had the children, we would be there. Her dad would read the Christmas story from the Bible, and then they'd give everybody their gifts, and they would rip them apart, and the packages and everything would be there. The kids would grab their toy out of whatever wrapping it was, and they would run away and play with them. And so then everything was gathered up and put in one of those trash bags and sat on the back porch. It wasn't immediately taken out into the barrel to burn because inevitably something didn't fit or something was broken. When that was happened, we'd bring the bag back in, we'd dump it out, we'd begin to look for the receipts, whatever was needed in order to return that item. When it says here, They were harassed and helpless. They were shoved around, pushed around, pulled here, pulled there, told to do this, told you can't do this. Sounds a lot like life, doesn't it? That moved Jesus. It stirred him at the very core of his being. He had to do something about it. We had to do something about it. If it mattered to Jesus, it ought to matter to us. If it moved Jesus, those things ought to move us as well. Correct? In other words, when I see it, what is it that God is stirring my heart, our heart as a church, to go and do? Look at the next verse, verse 37. After that that great stirring, this is what it says, verse 37. Then... The then can only happen after I feel the stirring of the Spirit of God because of the people that I see. Then he said to his disciples, let me ask you, are you his disciple? A student who's going to sit at Jesus' feet. You're going to open his word. You're going to read it. You're going to ask the Holy Spirit, please take the word of God and pour it into my heart and into my life. If there's something in your word, God, that that I need to change, something I need to start doing, 
let me, let me know as I read your word that there's something else that needs to be added into my life to be pleasing to you, to be like Jesus. I'm your disciple. I sit at your feet. If you reveal something to me that needs to be removed from my life, pinpointed in my life so that I can confess the sin and ask your forgiveness and know that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so he says, he said to his disciples, the harvest is what? It's great. It's plentiful. It's awesome. It's massive. Look around you at the Chiefs game. The harvest is plentiful. Drive down the roads of Kansas City. The harvest is plentiful. It's the Arkansas term is bukus. It's massive, the people around us who do not know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, looking at that oxlox, that, that massive crowd that was there before them, the harvest, it's plentiful, but what? But the workers, the laborers, I like laborers. My dad was a union carpenter in St. Louis all of my life growing up. He worked hard. And I got to pick up boards and bricks and everything for him on the job. It's laborious. In the ministry following Jesus, it's laborious as well. There, there's not just, it's not always standing on stage and singing a wonderful worship song, playing a guitar, a lot of times it's getting down in the gutter. It's in a neighborhood that we probably wouldn't walk unless God has stirred a heart that we're supposed to go there and see them come to faith in Christ and share the gospel with them. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, what's that word? Few. When you think of few, what do you think of? Not enough? Small amount? Compared to the masses of the oxlocks, of the massive crowd, they're not enough. But the word in the Greek text has another definition. That definition is puny. Have you ever felt puny. I look around your faces. Sometimes you're not really sick, but you're just kind of under the weather. You feel not so effective, not so good that I can go out. He said to his disciples, that is to you and to me, the harvest is plentiful. It's, 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 many are there, but the workers are few. On, on the mission field, I, I've done a lot of work in sub-Saharan Africa. On the mission field, there are a lot of peoples. There are still around the world, 3,000 people groups around the world that have no one working with them to try to reach them for faith in Christ. You know what we've discovered? 
with Brian's help and Zach Doolittle, who's on my team, and Omar Segovia on our team there at the Missouri Baptist Convention, discovering the peoples that have come to dwell within the borders of the state of Missouri, that of those 3,000 peoples that have no access into them and we have no missionaries with them, 19 of those peoples live right here in the state of Missouri. God has brought 19 of those peoples that missionaries cannot go to there, so he's brought them here. And many of them are here in Kansas City. And Brian has the same data that I have, and he can lead you to go after them. My question is, is who's going to go after them? What do we need to do? He said, the harvest is plentiful. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. They're puny. Verse 38. I want to say this about verse 38. It comes in the form of the only imperative in this entire four verses. An imperative is a command. It's the only command that Jesus gives The rest of it is descriptive. But in verse 38, here's the command. Therefore, what's the word? Pray. Pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Plead with him. Pour over this situation of the peoples all around Independence, Missouri, all around Kansas City, Missouri, that have come to be here in Missouri from somewhere else around the world. And that's dealing with the international people, but also there are people just like me who at 21 did not know Jesus. May have had some religious background, so I thought I was okay. He says, therefore, pray earnestly, seriously, deeply, groaning before him, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to what? For him to do what? Send. For him to send forth workers, labors into his harvest. That was his one command in this passage of Scripture. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, to God the Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit, pray, ask them, the Godhead, ask them to send out workers into his harvest. Now, the the word there for send is, is a word which means to thrust. In fact, I think the King James Version says, thrust forth labors into his harvest field. Anybody ever been thrusted? Uh, I was one of three boys, and then, like I said, two sisters, but us three boys, we were just stair-step. And as we grew up, my mom was not a mom who just said, just wait till your father gets home. My mom was going to take care of it. And she told us boys, we all had one room and the three run one room and she told us to clean up our room so what did we do we kept playing now my mom was never one to tell you twice if she told you 
you were to do it. My bed faced the door. The others were against the wall and against the wall. Mine came right out. I was at the foot of my bed as a little boy after mom had told us to clean our room and we kept playing. And she just walked in, unbeknownst to us, and with the inside of her right foot, just thrust me into my bed with that swift kick. And all she said was, now, clean up your room. I I wonder if we have to ask God the Father to thrust us. Is that what it's going to take, that he needs to do something to thrust us? I, I fly on a lot of planes. I fly around the world. I fly around the United States for our mission work at the Missouri Baptist Convention that we're going to do. There's that thrust when you're taking off. There is that sudden stop when you begin to land. Sometimes we need to be thrust into the field. If I actually do pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to thrust forth, send forth laborers into his harvest field, what do you think he's going to do? Well, let me say it this way. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, 14, and 15. If we ask him anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. If we know that he hears us, we know we already have the petition that we have asked for. So when I look at this text, and he's commanding me to pray to himself, to the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth, thrust forth workers into his harvest field. Does that sound like that's his will? That's his mandate. He's going to thrust us into the harvest field. If I pray that, will I have that prayer answered with a yes? Of course. And so when I look at churches all over the state of Missouri, all over the state of Montana where I go, all over Minnesota and Wisconsin where I go, when I go and talk with churches, will he thrust forth laborers into his harvest? Let me me bring it down with this illustration. We had been working with the Manjaku people in Senegal, Gambia, and Guinea-Bissau. And we had seen 11 men from one village, the village of Block, say yes to Jesus the first time I was there. And that was in a January. I, I went back in May because I wanted to follow up, but they were workers in the harvest field. So they were not there when we got back there in May. But there were five ladies underneath that same mango tree, and they wanted to know why we came. So what was I to do? I told them the same story that I had told the men. One of them began to dance around and, and her hands and tears flowing down her face. And I effectively called her mama. I said, mama, why, why are you so excited? And she stopped and looked at me and said, you've just told me the most wonderful news in all of the world. Why wouldn't I be excited? Can you tell me more? Well, I had some place to go. You know us Americans with our schedules. This was on a Monday. I said, I, I've got to go right now the translator. 
But if you will invite your neighbors and your friends to sit underneath this mango tree on Thursday, I will be back here at 1030. What does it mean when you tell an African a time? Usually nothing. Because they're on their own time. I got there at 10 instead of 1030, and she had 72 people sitting underneath that mango tree. They were all dressed up in their most colorful garb. I asked her, Mama, why are they all dressed up? And she said, they're here to hear about the living God. And so I told them all the same story. 42 of those 72 said yes to Jesus that day. And I always stop and think, what if I had not gone? What if I had not gone back? What about Jim down the street? Susan over on the corner cul-de-sac. What if I don't keep going back and back and back? There's somebody in every one of our lives who has not yet said yes to Jesus. If it mattered to Jesus, it ought to matter to us. If it moved Jesus, it really ought to move and stir us. If it motivated Jesus, it ought to motivate me. And if it was his mandate then, it's still his mandate today. Lord Jesus, I pray for this precious congregation at Three Trails. Lord, everyone who's in here, I've watched their eyes. I've watched their heads. I thank you that I got to see their faces. Because you see their faces and you look even beyond that. You look deep down in their hearts. Would you just use them in a powerful, mighty way to draw the people all around where they live to you and to your kingdom. I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.